Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, as states are clamoring to get students back into the classroom full-time, what lessons have parents learned about remote learning over the past year? Some of the answers from a new survey might surprise you. Also coming up this morning, most of us never would have expected to still be dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Would most doctors have expected to still be dealing with so much COVID-19 misinformation? And if you've got a serious case of spring fever, you're not alone. We have what you need for a home makeover to celebrate the season. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, March 29th, 2021. It is Piano Day today. And why is it Piano Day, you might ask? What is the significance? Because today is the 88th day of the year. 88 keys on the piano keyboard. 88th day of the year. It is Piano Day. It is also National Lemon Chiffon Cake Day. (laughs) Lemon Chiffon Cake Day. National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day. Big salute to the Mom and Pop Business Owners out there. Smoke and Mirrors Day today, it says here. <laughs> Which is pretty much how we do this show on a daily basis. Smoke, smoke and Mirrors Day. And, of course, today is Holy Monday. The beginning of uh, Holy Week countdown to Easter is on. And, by the way, Easter weekend, I know it's a ways off yet in the forecast can change but if you are curious i was looking at the extended forecast absolutely gorgeous for easter sunday that is after we get some really chilly we're it's sub freezing again this morning to get the day started which is i thought we were done with this nonsense but it is really chilly this morning and i was looking ahead on thursday of this week they're talking about highs high temperatures in the mid-30s. And some areas, I'm told, may see some snowflakes uh, at some point, uh, like Wednesday night, early in the day on, on Thursday. And Thursday is going to be really cold. And I, I, at first, that just shocked me. And then I got to thinking, two reasons for that. Thursday, of course, is April Fool's Day. But most importantly, it's baseball opening day on Thursday. So, of course, there's going to be snow. I mean, think about it. Anyway, here are some of the uh, more interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your day started. We are all very familiar with the uh, practice of wearing masks, social distancing, and all of that. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to the day when we no longer have to do that. But experts are saying both of those precautions might be the new normal for a while. Researchers Johns Hopkins University say that although people are getting vaccinated and daily new case totals across the U.S. have plateaued, the country will need to see a continued decline in the number of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths before all of those restrictions, all of those guidelines can be fully relaxed. Uh, Carrie Althoff is professor of epidemiology. She says more of the country will need to be vaccinated against the virus as well before we can even think about the debate over whether you know when will be the right time to get rid of the masks and not worry so much about social distancing. 
She says also, since it uh, remains unclear whether the vaccines help reduce the spread, in other words, the question still remains, can those who have been vaccinated still be carriers of the virus and spread it to those who have not yet been vaccinated? And that is one of the great unknowns. So, again, those vaccinated should continue to wear masks just in case. And even those who are vaccinated will need to hold off on international travel to avoid bringing new variants of the virus from elsewhere home with them. Uh, She says, this is a process, not a light switch, where we can just turn it off and turn on what our life used to be like. It is a gradual process. So, don't get too excited, I guess. Pandemic has certainly been tough on uh, many Americans. And on Friday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that between August of last year and the end of January this year, more than 40% of U.S. adults experienced symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorders at some point. Now, maybe not continuously. Maybe it was just a, you know, we had, like everything else, some peaks and valleys in this. But uh, over this period of time, they say the percentage of adults reporting symptoms of anxiety and depression increased from 36% to 42%. And the percentage of adults who took a prescription for one of those disorders rose from 22% to 25%. Uh, At the end of January, 12% of adults nationally indicated that they needed mental health treatment, but did not receive it. That was 9% who said the same in early August, so that number is on the rise as well. Researchers say the spread of disease and increase in deaths during large outbreaks of transmissible disease is often associated with fear and grief. But they also point out that social restrictions, limits on operating non-essential businesses, and other measures can lead to isolation and, of course, unemployment, uh, financial concerns for uh, many people, furthering the increased risk for mental health problems. So, in other words, you know, we have those two stories here. One about the fact that we still have to be careful, even as more people become vaccinated and the number of cases plateaus. And right next to that, on the Newswire, have the story about the unintended consequences of the pandemic in that regard. So you've got the good, you've got the bad, you've got the law of unintended consequences, and again, it still becomes a balancing act uh, between preventing the virus and the cure being worse than the disease. So kind of interesting there. That has been the eternal debate since all of this started. Easter is right around the corner. This is Holy Week. And despite the pandemic, it's all about the candy. Uh, One thing, I mean, this is just like Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's or trying to figure out what is the best way to observe the holiday. What's the best way to celebrate? Well, we don't want to miss another holiday of seeing our loved ones and all of that. But one thing... That will definitely be involved this Easter is the candy. A new survey shows that nearly half of Americans agree that the best part of Easter 
is the candy. <laughs> Maybe we want to go back and reread the idea of Easter, the, the story of Easter. <laughs> I agree, the candy is good. But the best part of Easter? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe you need a refresher course on what Easter is all about. Anyway, new survey suggests that nearly half of Americans agree that the best of Easter is candy. This is a, a survey conducted by one poll on behalf of a Japanese candy company. So I guess no big surprise there. They asked a variety of questions about celebrating Easter amid the pandemic, and from the responses, it is clear that regardless of how people celebrate, many still plan on making candy a big part of the day. So, there is that. Um, candy makers are not depressed. Yeah, <laughs> That's good. And like Halloween, candy is the big thing. Candy, candy. Speaking of foods, this is kind of interesting. Again, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Recent changes to food allergy guidelines have led to a 16% decrease in peanut allergy among infants, according to a new study led by the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. They also found a significant increase in parents introducing peanuts into their baby's diet since the guideline changes. Uh, they actually say intro uh, introducing peanuts early in a child's life uh, can prevent peanut allergy later in life. Uh, randomized controls, controlled trials have demonstrated this. Uh, the lead author of the study, Victoria Soriano, said this research was the first to test the approach, uh, to test the idea uh, in homes and to analyze what impact the guideline changes have had on peanut allergies overall. International infant feeding guidelines changed in 2016 to recommend introduction of peanut and other allergenic foods before... Uh, kids reach the age of 12 months, and it appears to be working to the tune of a 16% decrease in the number of peanut allergies. So, that is good news. And finally here, something to chew on. This is always fun. Around this time of year, we get the data on baby names from the prior year. And what are the uh, you know uh, most popular baby names out there? American parents, uh, now the, the hottest thing is to name their kids after herbs and spices, apparently. <laughs> the Huffington Post uh, looked at the most recent year of name data from the Social Security Administration. This would be from 2019, not from 2020. There's always runs a little bit behind, but from 2019, uh, names inspired by herbs and spices were pretty popular. Uh, basil, uh, 71 boys and 28 girls named Basil. Uh, saffron, 26 girls named Saffron among the Social Security. And Social Security Administration would know. I mean, they uh, get registration from all the babies born in the U.S., so who would know better what names babies are being given? 666 boys and 1,164 girls ended up with the name Sage in 2019. 57 girls named Ginger were born in the year. 144 girls named Pepper. 760 girls named Rosemary. 10 girls named Cayenne. 22 boys and 1,526 girls named Juniper. 628 girls got the name Poppy in 2019. 114 girls named Lavender. 
More than 2,000 girls got the name Jasmine and 508 girls named Angelica. Is that an herb or a spice, Angelica? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> I suppose there are worse things. I mean, we could be naming our kids after the Kardashians, so we're not doing that, at least not anymore. So I suppose all things considered, it could be a lot worse. But there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly sunny, seasonable with a high in the upper 50s today, a bit breezy. Clear and breezy again tonight with a low of 42. The Finley Fire Department battled a fire at Hamlet Protein on Saturday afternoon. The call came in at 2.21 from a passerby about smoke coming from the roof of the business at 5289 Hamlet Drive in Tall Timbers Industrial Park. Battalion Chief Jeff Ramp says this was a unique fire and it was all hands on deck for a while until they found out where the fire was and how to get to it. Four engines and a ladder truck responded to the scene. It turned out the fire was inside some hoppers and about 50 feet of conveyors. They had to disassemble some of the equipment to get water into the hoppers to put the fire out. Battalion Chief Ramp says they used some 1,000 gallons of water on the fire, when in comparison, a typical structure fire uses under 500 gallons. He said firefighters were on the scene for about four hours. No employees or firefighters were injured. The cause of the fire is under investigation. It's been nearly three years since the Supreme Court struck down a national ban on sports gambling, but while other states have been quick to act on making betting on sports legal, that hasn't been the case in Ohio, ONN's Dave James reports. The state has yet to pass the necessary legislation, but Governor Mike DeWine says... Members of the General Assembly are working that process, and I will have the opportunity to see what they come up with. I'll had the opportunity to weigh in at the appropriate time. But sports gaming is certainly coming to Ohio. It's already regulated and legally available in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Indiana, and West Virginia. Dave James, I went in news. A mobile food pantry will be held on Wednesday at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts on West Main Cross Street in Findlay. The event will be hosted by Chopin Hall. We do ask for people to either go to our website, chopinhall.org, or they can call in 419 422 6401 to reserve a spot. Ron Rooker from Chopin Hall says that they get their food from the West Ohio Food Bank. This mobile food pantry event will distribute 10,000 pounds of food. The event is being sponsored by the Marianne Dana Younger Fund. I'm John Marshall for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, a year now after virtually all students across the country switched to a remote learning model for their schoolwork, a new survey from learning company Pearson and Connections Academy, one of the largest K-12 online school programs in the country, new survey offers some insights into some of the challenges maybe even some of the unexpected benefits of learning during the pandemic uh, in this manner. Joining us this morning is Mickey Revenaugh, who's the co-founder of Connections Academy. Mickey, first of all, let me qualify the survey a little bit. Who participated? Were these individuals in this survey those that had no prior experience with remote learning prior to the pandemic? Absolutely, yes. So this so, was a representative sample of about 1,000 parents across the country that had kids in grades K through 12. Um, And the thing that was really interesting that came out of that, despite the fact that 
their only experience um, with online learning may have been this remote uh, emergency learning that has happened over the past year. Um, on balance, they felt really positive about online learning and saw a real role for online as part of their children's education future. So, again, these are individuals uh, who have no experience with it prior to all of this, but presumably also had no preconceived notions. And I have to say, it's a bit surprising because of all of the uh, wrangling that we've heard lately about we have to get the kids back in class, that uh, they're falling behind, that there is no good substitute for having the students physically in the classroom. How do you respond to those criticisms based on what you are hearing from the survey? So I think part of what we're seeing is that um, schools have had a year, teachers have had a year, parents have had a year to sort of get into the swing of things um, with online learning. So what felt like a crashing emergency a year ago, gradually schools have gotten a lot better about you know how to do this well. Teachers have gotten much more confident in use of the tools, and especially parents have figured out ways to make the online learning experience sort of fit in with other things that their family is doing. Um, and what they're seeing is that actually the online experience is, is creating some skills for their kids that they might not have gotten otherwise. So resilience, self-sufficiency, time management, even some technology skills that they know will be really important when kids go into the workplace of the future. Um, we've seen that families, um, despite complaining a bit along the way of being on top of each other, having cabin fever, actually the time that they've spent really closely engaged with each other and really involved with their kids' education, they don't want to let go of that. They feel like that's actually paid dividends um, in terms of their understanding of their children as learners and their ability to have a real impact on education. So um, the good and the bad kind of go together. I don't think any of us would have wished this pandemic on the world, um, but when families emerge from it and now a year later, they're actually seeing that their kids, because kids are resilient, they're pragmatic, they're bounced back um, from the things that were setbacks and actually emerge from this with some skills that will serve them well going forward. So talk a little bit about that transition and how we got to this point, because uh, again, a year ago, we were just making the transition. Uh, and then now we've got this focus on transitioning back to in-person education. Um, where is the, where was the sweet spot uh, between those two. Again, as you were mentioning, it seems as though parents uh, seem to be okay with the idea of some element of remote learning working into the curriculum of the future. Where is the sweet spot? So it really is very individual for, um, for students and depending on their learning needs. So I think one of the things that parents have had a front row seat for um, over this past year that they never would have been able to see before is like, what is my kid like as a learner? You know, how do they learn best? Um, and so this idea of, you know, kind of pushing schools and pushing teachers to integrate online learning, flexibility of scheduling, use of technology tools to meet the needs of a new generation of students. And at the same time, some families are saying, you know what, actually, my kid who is usually shy and would never raise their hand in class are, is actually participating much more actively in this online setting maybe an online learning environment is one that would make sense for them in the future. So the big takeaway of, of all of this is that um, we used to think of school as a one-size-fits-all place. I think all of us now recognize that school is 
anytime, anywhere in a set of relationships and experiences that might look a little different from one kid to the next. A fair point. Uh, now, again, a year ago, we were talking about how to seamlessly make that transition, how to help uh, kids make that transition to online learning. And now the question is helping our kids to transition back to a more normal routine. What advice would you have for families uh, at this point uh, for for this transition? So this, the number one priority, which we would have said last year at this time as well, is that your your child's health, their physical health, their mental health is your number one priority. So when you make a decision about when to go back into face-to-face instruction or even if to go back into face-to-face instruction, that's the first thing that you need to take into consideration. Um, secondly, I think we've all learned this year to cut ourselves a little bit of slack, you know, to have some grace about not doing things perfectly. Um, and I think parents uh, showing that to their kids that you can make a mistake, not be your best, stand up, dust yourself off, and move forward is an incredibly important life lesson for parents and for kids. Um, Certainly, if you've seen that your child is really struggling with something academically or having to do with the overall school routine, you absolutely should be in direct touch with your child's teacher and with the school to figure out a plan together to kind of get them back on track. And then finally, summer is coming, right? Um, And so if you've actually found that this online learning thing works pretty well for your kids. There's lots of opportunities for online summer school, online camps and activities um, combined with the face-to-face things that I think we're all looking forward to doing um, that will set your kids up to be happy and confident and ready to have a great school year next year. And lastly, I want to ask you about this as the co-founder of an online learning program. Is there any concern with all, again, as we were saying, uh, it seems like the uh, narrative is we've got to get the kids back in class, that there's no substitute for uh, in-person learning. Uh, Obviously, what you provide is an alternative, a a permanent uh, alternative to uh, in-person learning. Are you concerned at all that that your reputation, if you will, I guess maybe that's not the right uh, uh, word that I'm looking for, uh, but your model is, is kind of taking a bad rap? Because I know one of the things that online schools have emphasized is that in your model, it's very different than the way uh, traditional schools have been doing the remote learning thing through Zoom classrooms and so on. What they're doing is not exactly what you are doing. It may be good for a day or two, but it's not uh, a good uh, sustained long-term model. So are you concerned at all that uh, you're kind of being lumped in with some of these models that aren't really working very well? Well, I think people are starting to understand that there's a real difference between sort of the emergency schooling mm-hmm. and a great school experience, regardless of what format it takes. And so we would 100% agree that there's no substitute for a really well-prepared and caring teacher, for a really good curriculum, and for a school experience that takes the whole child into account. Um, for some students, that's absolutely a face-to-face setting. It makes perfect sense for them. That's where they're going to thrive. That's just not necessarily true for every single kid. Um, And so I think one of the things when the dust settles um, that we'll all look back on is say, um, you know, great education is made up of um, really common elements regardless of what medium it's delivered in and that you, when you're looking for a great school for your kid, 
have to take all those things into account. And the good news is, in the future, um, as now, there's lots of options. Um, and so families should feel empowered to pick the thing that works best for them and for their children. Um, and um, we're all looking forward to every child being able to access the, the kind of education that works best for them um, as we go into the new school year. We will leave it there. Again, Mickey Revenaugh is the co-founder of the online school program, Connections Academy. We referenced this survey uh, that you did uh, in conjunction with uh, Pearson. Where do folks get more information about that poll? So you can go to connectionsacademy.com slash parent pulse. Parent pulse is the name of the survey. And so all the great results are there. Makes for really, really interesting reading. And then there's lots of great resources there for thinking about online learning as part of your future, potentially, but also just um, tips and tricks for getting your kids ready um, academically to continue to move forward for a thriving future. A lot there for parents uh, to think about, uh, regardless of the uh, educational model uh, for their children. Mickey, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks. It was a pleasure being with you. Joining us on the line now, Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System. Get an update on where things stand. Uh, heading into a new week, vaccines and so on, the uh, pandemic. And uh, Dr. Coase, thanks very much for uh, joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, last week, the uh, State Auditor's Office released uh, its analysis of COVID-19 reporting data in Ohio and said that uh, over the course of the past year, the data that has been reported on a number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths uh, was generally accurate. But he said something rather interesting. And I want to ask you about this because it is a conversation that we've actually had uh, on the program in the past. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, Auditor uh, Keith Faber suggested that the reporting should be changed to delineate between the individuals who have died of COVID-19 and those who have died with COVID-19. His argument is very familiar. Again, it's something we've talked about in the past. Relatively small numbers of individuals uh, not just in Ohio, but nationwide, have died solely of COVID-19. It is much more likely to be listed as a comorbidity uh, with other factors. And his argument and the argument of others is that that information should be uh, specified in reporting those numbers. Is there a distinction? I mean, is it a distinction without a difference, or is that substantial, and is that something that that would be good to separate out those numbers? Well, I, I think it is important from a standpoint of essentially what he said. When someone, and only a physician, can sign a death certificate, when they look at the cause of death, you look at the totality of everything that was going on. So, commonsensically, if someone that's completely healthy got COVID and died, there would be no comorbidities or other information that would have contributed to the death. But someone that has all kinds of things, severe diabetes, congestive mm -hmm. heart failure, bad lung disease, advanced dementia, debilitated lung function, whatever, 
is that that COVID infection might not have caused the death had there not been those problems. So the way a death certificate is to be filled out is that you look at the immediate cause that started the process. And this this became really difficult, in especially nursing homes, where individuals were a lot were really sick with a lot of problems. Exactly. But were, if they were stable, got COVID, the intent of the way the forms were supposed to be filled out and keeping track of data would be it began with COVID, but you had all these comorbidities. The important thing will be when we go back and look and try to analyze data exactly what COVID did. So does that, uh, the, the argument on the other side is that that runs the risk of painting a false uh, image or a false uh, uh, perception that this is not as big of a deal as what it has been made out to be. And again, that's been uh, the argument that uh, if if folks have not died of COVID exclusively, then it is not that big of a deal. Well, I think you can look at it that way, and that's the an- analysis of any kind of data of how you want to look at the perspective. Sure. If someone was stable with congestive heart failure, even though they were sick, mm-hmm. and or emphysema, and they came down with COVID, and really never got over it, and that started the downward trend of other things starting to fail in their body, maybe their kidneys or their heart, Uh, it still was the original precipitating cause, and that's the way the data should be looked at. Now, how people want to interpret that, I guess there there probably are more than one or two different ways that, that you could do that, but still, the intent is to be scientific. This is what precipitated what the cause was of the death. I, I guess the reason I bring this up, because this plays into, like I said uh, earlier when we were uh, previewing the segment, uh, we're a year into this. I don't think anyone would have guessed that we would still be dealing with the pandemic uh, a year right. in. But I would guess that many doctors, such as yourself, would not necessarily have expected to be dealing with so much misinformation still a year in. And does this uh, lead to more misinformation based on a misunderstanding of what that data would mean if it's separated out in that way? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, there's still there's still political issues. There's sure. not any other way to put it of how people want to interpret this. Sometimes there are insurance issues of what's going to be covered. I think... Um, the point about, let, let's say, death certificates and death are important. The bigger thing related to that from COVID standpoint is this long COVID or post-COVID syndrome. I think most of us would have expected a year ago, if you got COVID and got over it, you got over it. Mm-hmm. That, is not, that is not what we're seeing, especially people with chronic diseases or having months of different kinds of problems, continued shortness of breath. Um, there, and, and it's anecdotal when I say that. It's not like we have tremendous amounts with younger people. But uh, I read yesterday four or five people that just aren't getting over it. They mm-hmm. haven't gotten their sense of smell and taste, which, well, you can probably take care of that. But continued short of breath or people have cardiac problems. Mm-hmm. People have, have difficulty standing because their autonomic nervous system's not working. And everybody's trying to sort this out as, well, are these, quote, coincidental? 
They were a healthy 25-year-old before they started, nine months later still having symptoms of things that really haven't gotten better. That was the real change or the concern uh, that we never expected. The death certificate, it would be the same argument with influenza, with any respiratory infection that somebody gets, yeah, and they were debilitated and they died. Well, did that may not have been the total cause, mm-hmm. but that's what precipitated. Yeah, that is a uh, that is a good point, and uh, you also bring up a, an excellent point about the long term effects that we still don't know uh, what those may be or how long those may last. Uh, with respect to the long term effects, and along those same lines, obviously we're coming up on uh, Easter weekend, a uh, big time for family celebrations, and now that we uh, have a, a lot of folks who have been vaccinated at this point. There are still questions about whether those who are vaccinated can be carriers of COVID-19 and spread, that even though they may not get it themselves, uh, can they still spread uh, the uh, virus to those who have not been vaccinated or who may be at, at higher risk? So, especially with the holiday weekend coming up, what is the best guidance with respect to how we approach that if we've been vaccinated? Is it okay to get together unmasked all of that kind of a normal thing certainly from the cdc the communicable disease center is that we have broadened those that people can get together the the recommendation out which i would agree with is smaller groups and we use here at the hospital 10 or under uh if everyone has been vaccinated that it's it's okay to get together. Now, we still recommend and we're still wearing masks, and you always ought to be washing your hands because it carries everything else, too. <laughs> right. The social distancing and those things still make as much sense as you can. I think if you've been vaccinated, it sure helps. But the, remember, even though this is an unbelievably effective vaccine, it is much better statistically in the trials and what we're seeing out in society than most vaccines that we've had. It's still not 100%. So someone could be, when you ask the question about the carrier, in general, a vaccine prevents you from being a carrier. We haven't had enough testing and be able to really say that for sure with this, but the expectation is if you're vaccinated and the vaccine was effective, giving you immunity, you're probably not going to be a carrier. But there still are some individuals that the vaccine didn't work. I talked to someone last night that had an antibody test done for other reasons after the vaccine and had a pretty severe reaction, Mm. feeling that it was due to the vaccine, and he tested with no antibodies. I I don't know what that means. So, again, the point is there could be people that are still carriers even though they have been vaccinated. And now with the variants, what is what we're really concerned about is the vaccination. It may be effective, but let's say 50% is effective as what it was before mm-hmm. by antibody uh, production. So there's still a lot of variables out there. There's still a lot of concern about what can happen. Even though we've got, I saw in the paper today, 47% of those above 65 have been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15% of the of the United States are fully vaccinated. Well, herd immunity, you know, nobody knows for sure what that means, but people have been, you know, the research people have been saying 
70 to 85 percent i mean we're we're only halfway there yeah, we've so there's got still a, a lot of people out there that could get it yeah we've got a, a ways to go before we get to that with respect to the uh, vaccine uh i believe it is is it as of uh today the uh, state is is opening this up to uh pretty much anyone 16 and up uh to be able yes. to get the vaccine yep. Uh, are we ready for that influx of uh, individuals here locally based on uh, the numbers of uh, the amount of vaccine that we have available? We have had for the last week towards the end of the day, we've had extras. So we have called people in and we've already had some in those age groups to get filled. So we have one clinic this week. Uh, I think we're doing about 600 and we still have 500 open spots. Now that does that doesn't mean public health is not to called people and we have not advertised. So don't expect that there'll be any problem uh, hopefully getting that filled. Right. But I think we're going to start seeing across the state in the next couple of weeks that the supply is going to be more than what the demand is. Uh, most a lot of people have already been able to get those. So yes, we are ready. Uh, we're to every dose that we get from the state, we've allocated and we try to get it out that week. And with public health, we and the pharmacies that are involved, we've been able to do that in Hancock County. And we will leave it there. We've got the link up on our webpage for more information on how to get the vaccine now that it is open to all. Again, uh, Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System with us this morning. The latest update. Dr. Coase, thanks very much once again. We appreciate it. Uh, Have a good day, Chris. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Uh, Item number one, an Oregon man is in custody for allegedly kissing someone's baby at a local supermarket. Police say Austin Stewart was at a Winco supermarket in Springfield, Oregon last week when he pulled his mask down and smooched a one-year-old girl uh, while her mother was looking away. He then fled as parents looked for him and alerted store workers and a police officer. Eventually, uh, Mr. Stewart was found hiding under a blanket on a nearby street. He has been charged with physical harassment and disorderly conduct. (laughs) He kissed a little girl uh, at a supermarket uh, without uh, mom's permission. That's that's a no-no, certainly in uh, this day and age. That's weird. Uh, This is uh, also from the uh, international file, the uh, broken news. 25-year-old woman from Lancashire, England, recently uh, shared a gift that she had received from a secret admirer. Uh, Eleanor Holland says she found a note that read, I will always love you, attached to a container containing two jumbo hot dogs. (laughs) Not flowers. Not uh, candy, two jumbo hot dogs. Ms. Holland says she is already dating someone and uh, decided to throw out the hot dogs rather than feed them to her dog in case it was a crazy person (laughs) trying to poison her. She uh, also tells local news reporters that she would tell her admirer there are definitely more romantic ways to go about declaring your love. Probably not the uh, probably best that the uh, guy, whoever it is, remained anonymous. You know what I mean? That's if that's the best you can do, probably best to remain anonymous. 
Uh, Follow-up to a story. I believe we talked about this uh, several weeks ago. A steer that escaped from a slaughterhouse in early February in Rhode Island was finally captured this past Friday. Johnston police say following periodic sightings, (laughs) the steer's owner wrangled the bovine. Police say the animal was taken back to Mr. Lewis's farm in Connecticut. Um, And uh, he said the owner's of a New Jersey animal sanctuary have expressed interest in giving the steer a new permanent home. Uh, no word on whether they'll take him up on that or not, but that wayward steer that escaped from a slaughterhouse has been captured. Uh, speaking of animal stories, the uh, broken news, uh, you know how uh, dogs love toys. Dogs, unfortunately, don't usually have the means to buy one. But that didn't stop one stray in North Carolina. Uh, Apparently, employees from a Dollar General store in uh, Kenansville had to call animal control about a cereal shoplifter (laughs) of the four-legged variety. Apparently, the stray dog had come into the uh, store no less than five times trying to steal a particular purple plush toy (laughs) they had on display. This stray dog decided he wanted that particular plush toy. Every dog has a favorite toy. He decided that was his favorite. Uh, No less than five times he tried to steal it. The uh, store uh, employees finally called Animal Control. They picked up the dog, and uh, they did take pity and bought the toy for him. So he did finally get his toy uh, after five attempts at just stealing it. Mm -mm. Shoplifting is never a good thing. Uh, I know it has a happy ending, but, but you know, shoplifting is never a good thing, even for dogs. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, I love this story. They say revenge is a dish served, best served cold. But in this case, it is a dish that got stolen. Uh, allow me to explain. After dealing with an extremely impatient customer at the McDonald's drive-thru behind him, uh... One man came up with a an extremely creative way to get revenge. He said, this lady behind me uh, was continuously honking and actually even flipped me off because I was taking too long in the drive-thru, he said. So he decided to get even. His first step was to uh, disguise his plan as a random act of kindness. When he pulled up to the first window to pay for his food. Now, mind you, okay, you're going through the drive-thru. There's the first window you pay, the second window you pick up your food. Okay, so the first window, he told the uh, the uh, cashier that he was going to pay for the food for the woman behind him. Okay, so he's going to pay for his food, and I'll pay for the next person behind me. Now, mind you, this is the person who's been impatient the whole time and giving him a hard time because he's taking too long. So he's going to buy her uh, food for her. So uh, he does that. And when she gets to the line to pay, she is pleasantly surprised to find out that the man in front of her paid for her food. Um, he said she leaned out of her window looking at me all crazy because the teller told her I paid for her food. Um, now, you might think he's killing her with kindness, right? That's a way to deal with somebody who's giving you a hard time. But no, there's more. Uh, however, she 
Well, she, he said she felt very embarrassed for what she had done and avoided me in the rearview mirror making eye contact. But that embarrassment then probably changed to anger after the man revealed that when he got to the second window to pick up his food, I showed the booth, uh, the uh, the clerk in that attend, uh, in that booth, uh, both the receipts and took her food as well. <laughs> he picked up both orders that he had paid for. <laughs> he said, "I paid for it. It's mine." Now she has to go around again and wait even longer to get her food. <laughs> the, uh, he posted about this on social media, reportedly garnered lots of responses from people who thought the act was hilarious. Uh, a twist ending there. <laughs> and here's today's broken news report. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Today's broken news update, a public service more or less of Hancock County Veteran Services. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives, and a new survey from the Pew Research Center finds nearly one-third of U.S. adults, 31% in the survey, say that they are almost constantly online. That is 10% more who said that than did in in 2015, the last time they did this survey. Uh, well, that's when they it says they when they began tracking the information. So I guess they've done the survey a number of times since then. But uh, back in 2015, when they first started, it was about 21 percent. Now it's up to 31 percent. Now certainly, the pandemic has probably had something to do with that over the course of the past year. But 48 the number. Nonetheless, the numbers are really fascinating. 48 percent say they log in several times a day while 6% limit their time online to only about once a day. Uh, 8% said they use the Internet weekly. Uh, eight, about 8 said that they use the Internet weekly less than once a day, and 7% don't use the Internet at all. Um, among those uh, who say that they are constantly online... Most of them are under the age of 50. 54% of 18 to 49-year-olds are online all the time, which is twice as many as those ages 50 to 64. I don't know if they are really online all the time or if they just say that, but at the very minimum, the perception is they are constantly online. Uh, Half as many in the 50 to 64 age group say that. Well, there wasn't really a difference between genders, 32% of men and 30% of women say that they are online constantly. There were differences in race, education, income, and location. African Americans, 37%. Hispanic people, 36%. More likely to say that they use the internet constantly. Followed by Caucasians at 28%. 42% of college graduates are online all the time, compared to 29% of those with some college and 23%. Uh, who just have a high school degree or a high school uh, diploma. People who make more than $75,000 a year, 
most likely to be constantly online, 40%. And 37% of those online all the time live in urban areas. So again, the pandemic over the course of the past year with all the working from home probably played a role in that, especially the income level. Those with higher incomes much more likely to have jobs where they can work remotely, and that, I'm sure, plays a part of that. But really interesting, 31% of adults say that they are almost constantly online. Half of younger adults say that they are constantly online, and only 7% say they don't use the Internet at all. Where do you fall in all of that? For me, I'd have to say it's somewhere in the middle, but probably leaning toward the higher end, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Well, spring has sprung, and while we can't completely rule out the possibility of more cold weather, even a few snowflakes uh, before it goes bye-bye for good, I think spring fever is in full swing. And with that, it is time for some seasonal updates, some quick household makeovers. Joining us with what you need is lifestyle and design expert Kelly Edwards with her uh, latest tips and tricks and favorite products for your spring spruce up. And uh, Kelly, I guess the one of the big things now is that finally home entertaining is starting to become a thing again after more than a year since we've been able, been able to gather. And uh, you say, obviously, the center of the home entertainment system is a good place to start. Absolutely. One place to start is your living room uh, with your television. Now, I actually love double duty products, right? And Samsung has something called the frame. Now, this is amazing because basically it's a television that when the TV's on, the TV's working, but when the TV's off, it can actually turn into a piece of art. So it's a really great way to personalize your space. They have a growing library. They have about 1,400 pieces in the art store to choose from. They also have recommendations from the AI-based auto curation technology, which is awesome. Now, the 2021 frame is extra slim. It's about 24.9 millimeters thick, so I tell everybody it's about the same depth as a picture frame. And this year, they're actually letting you make your own TV so you can mix and match mounting and bezel options for the frame. Ooh. They also just introduced what's called My Shelf. So it's an accessory that allows you to customize your walls and your shelving to complement that frame. So instead of having that big black box on the wall, now you can be a little bit more creative with your space. It can be attached to 55, 65, and 75 inch televisions, and the models also come in four different colors, which is awesome. So you go to Samsung.com to find out about that. That is really cool. And I was thinking, I, I remember uh, decades ago when they talked about someday we would have TVs that you hang on the wall like a picture. Now, you, this is a TV that you hang on the wall and can be a picture at the same time. So that's kind of cool. Uh that's- Now, obviously, uh, that's great for indoors, but spring being spring, everyone wants to go outside. You have some gardening suggestions. I do. I do. I love Burpee. Um, Burpee is really the national leader in home gardening. And this year, they actually launched their first ever 2021 Burpee Garden Cast as a way to really inspire gardeners as they plant their gardens this season. What they did was they grabbed a bunch of different trends, one of them being the World Herb Garden. Now, this is one of my favorites because they take easy-to-grow herbs, dill, cilantro, lemongrass, those sort of things. And it really kind of satisfies our wonderlust for travel without leaving the backyard because what you do is 
you grow them in the backyard, bring them into the kitchen, and then you can actually cook these amazing international recipes with them. So I do it all the time. I love it. My husband and I love to cook dishes from all over the world, and we definitely use some of their herbs. Now, what I do is I put them in containers. I place them on my counter. Not only do they lighten up the space and brighten up the space, but they also uh, add great texture and smell, but they're at arm's length. So when I'm ready to cook, I just reach for them and they're there. Another uh, trend that we're talking about is the Garden of Joy. So basically, this is all about brightening up your garden, making you happy, finding those flowers that you know are really cheerful, pansies, violas, they have these cheerful faces and eyes. I always say like pansies is all, are almost look like they're grinning at you. Hmm. Um, and the violas have sweet, subtle smell that I love so much. So basically, when you're growing a garden, grow a bunch of different array of colors. And then when you bring them inside, break them up into monochromatic bouquets around the house. So for instance, you're only going to use maybe pink in your bedroom because it's serene, but maybe you want the brighter colors in the kitchen. So if you have more questions about the five trends, you could actually head over to burpee.com slash garden or you can go to any of their social media websites, which is Burpee Gardening. Now, everybody is worried about uh, staying on budget these days, especially right now. Uh, obviously, uh, we want to make sure that we can do this economically. You have uh, some ways to save money while uh, shopping for everything that we need for our spring spruce up. Okay, if you want to save money on anything, I mean anything, you need to go to SlickDeals.net. Now, there's a leading social shopping platform. It's a site and an app. They have over 12 million unique users. They all vote and vet the best deals. So really, you know you're getting a good price. You can go on the website, search for deals, discover new products, and you can even read some of the reviews from a community of savvy shoppers. So this is basically like having 12 million friends. They're all on the site. They help you share, save, and understand really where all the best deals are. In particular, if you're looking for something, you can also set a deal alert, and it'll notify you when that deal actually matches your criteria and has been posted to the site. So it kind of alerts you there, too. So it's splitdeals.net. All right. Uh, now, this is the uh, one uh, that I'm sure folks don't look forward to. I know I don't look forward to. And it says here we're going to talk about spring cleaning. What do you suggest here? So it's really important right now to keep all the high-touch surfaces, the doorknobs, the handrails, the light switches, things like that sanitized. Microband 24 is a line of antibacterial cleaning products. I love them because it keeps killing the bacteria on the surfaces for 24 hours when used as directed. Touch after touch, it doesn't give up. It's actually powered by a multi-layer protective shield. It kills all the bacteria for 24 hours. Basically, all you need to do is spray it, walk away, no wiping required. Uh, it's the uh, chore part of the uh, spring that I know I don't look forward to, but if you got to do it, you want to do it right. Uh, and then uh, lastly, hopefully before too long, we'll be able to take all of our masks off and show, uh, show off those pearly whites. Uh, you have a great way to uh, refresh our smile for the spring season. I do. Now, speaking of clean, Oral-B has something called Click. It's their toothbrush. It's something you definitely need to have on hand. Now, you no longer need to hide the toothbrush in the cabinet because it actually looks quite sleek. Now, it's in matte black. They have chrome black and they have chrome white, but it's now available in three premium new colors. They have rose gold, Alaska blue, and aqua. And it also has a magnetic brush holder that you can put on the side of the cabinet. It'll really stick to any surface. But this way, you don't have to hide it. It still gives you that amazingly refreshing manual clean. 
It has X-shaped crisscross bristles that get in between your teeth, removes the plaque, and still provides that superior overall clean. My favorite part, though, environmentally friendly because it has a replaceable brush head and a reusable handle, which means that you can replace the brush head every three months. And over the course of two years, you actually save 60% less plastic than if you were using a regular manual toothbrush, which I love. So you're also being environmentally friendly. You can go buy it at various retailers, or of course, you can go to oralb.com online. Excellent stuff there. Again, uh, lifestyle and design expert Kelly Edwards with what you need for your spring updates and household makeovers. Kelly, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that will cap off our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about, of course, at our webpage, goodmornings.net is where you find us online. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter, shoot us an email directly if there's something you want to share, goodmornings.net. Your place on our little corner of the World Wide Web for all things Good Mornings. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.